Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash podcast, all one word. Okay, so historically when I start a community, I just kind of wing it. I have like a strong feeling and then I go do something and whoever shows up, shows up. And sometimes that works, at least for a little while. But in certain contexts, if you want to build something sustainable, if you want to build something in a corporate environment, you're going to need to come at things with a little bit more of a plan. Fortunately, today we have Mariana Martinelli, who is going to teach us about how to identify the avatars of who your ideal community member is and how to make sure that they feel safe and also how to measure your outcomes so that you know what success actually looks like which is hugely important for community building and a little bit elusive. So let's get into the conversation with Mariana Martinelli on this episode of The Community Experience. Hello, everyone. Tony Bacicalupo here. I got Jillian Benbo with me as well. Hello. And we are going to be talking today with Mariana Martinelli, who has experience, like I do, running community uh, for co-working spaces here in New York City. She's worked at some much higher end ones and has learned a whole lot about how to build community, how to create an environment that's welcoming and accepting for people, creating circumstances that really give people the opportunity to create connection. And so she now has a consultancy, which is called Grand Trine Studio, which you can look up. And she comes at this from a very kind of high-level systemic standpoint, which we haven't had as much in uh, on the program yet. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about, first of all, defining your customer avatar, which is very, that's a very like dry like language to say, but it's important. Define who your audience is and then what success looks like in a way that might be measurable and quantifiable, which is hugely important if you're working in a corporate context and what it means to create an environment where somebody actually feels safe in a neurological and biological level so that their brains will let them feel connection. Just running community in general, it's, you know, anybody who's done it knows it's a million different things, a thousand fires that need to be put out. You have your plan for the day and then you have what actually happens. So we just talk a lot. We talk shop about the wonderful world of community. And you may have heard community gardening analogies as it pertains to community, but you have not, I'm pretty sure you have not heard the gardening community analogy the way that we are going to talk about it today. So stay tuned for that and so much more as we talk to Mariana Martinelli on this episode of The Community Experience. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Yes. Hi. Hello. I am so happy to be here. I've really been looking forward to it. 
So you and I have a lot in common more than I think we realized when we started this, but we both have extensive experience building co-working community in New York City. Wow, what a what a unique experience it is. <laughs> yes, it's true. I think that there's a few of us. And I think when you find and meet another one who has that similar experience, it's something special. We need our own community of co-working builders. <laughs> oh, big time. I don't know if you've been to any of the conferences, but I always enjoy whenever I go to a co-working conference and I'm in a room of people who are like, they're like the masters of their domain in their city, but they don't generally know a lot of other people who do the same kind of work. And just this feeling of mutual understanding and camaraderie when you're in a room of people that are like, oh, you, you get it. Like, you know, you know what this is like. <laughs> the, the sinks full of cups and mugs and the leaky trash bags and the, the one person in the space that drives you absolutely bonkers. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, community people need community too. And I think that as a, an entrepreneur now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I realized for how long I was overflowed with social connection. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to work so much harder to like chat and catch up with people because it's not built into my day. That's a happy hour conversation. One of the other things we tend to have in common as community folks is that there's something that drove us in this direction to begin with. And so uh, maybe help us get to know you a little bit better and how you ended up kind of in this world and deciding to continue to go deeper in it. Yeah, of course. We'd be happy to talk about that. I mean, I came to community through a co-working lens and sort of before I landed there, I have a background in hospitality, planning events. I mean, quite frankly, in my 20s, I was really bopping around trying to figure out what I what I cared about, what I wanted to do. And if you looked at it on a resume, it would probably look like, what is this person doing? <laughs> Working in retail, you know, supporting, uh, you know, just trying a little uh, test and learn approach. I think in my 20s, we can make it sound a little bit nicer that way. But yeah, all, the through line through all of that was definitely caring about people, definitely on the extrovert spectrum and getting energized by people and the idea of building experiences and building relationships and sort of helping people build their own relationships, facilitating that was something that was really interesting to me. And I think, yeah, frankly, when I first started working at a co-working space and helping people get a fit to find an office and find a place where they could work, you know, alone, but not uh, work for themselves, but not alone was pretty exciting to me. At first, I kind of felt like, oh my God, like this can be a job. Like <laughs> I was like, cool. Like I just get to talk to people and like see what's up with them and what do they care about? I was like, I have tricked someone. This is, this is really working for me. So yeah, came from, from a hospitality and event planning background. And the first place I landed where I was building community slash sort of in charge of the membership experience was at Noya House when they first opened in 2013 in New York City. So that was a pretty exciting place to kick off the official community game. That is so great. And Neue House has a very specific niche and aesthetic and vibe in the co-working world. Can you say just briefly a little bit about kind of your experience there in terms of the culture and the curation and then maybe uh, how that experience was different for you at the wing and, and things like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that if you think about sort of co-working spaces as like 
to compare it to something like hotels. I mean, I think it's like each hotel you would go to has a different purpose. You're going to have a different kind of experience. And to me, I always saw Neue House sort of positioned at the higher end. Like maybe they're, these are my words, not theirs, but you know, maybe they're the Four Seasons or the St. Regis of of the co-working universe. And I think they do a good job of, of being in that space. So yeah, it was a beautiful environment to work for. It was really exciting to watch a space go from like construction zone to a place where people could really work and then be a part of sort of selling the idea to folks and bringing the right kind of creatives um, into the space and building that constellation of members to get to know each other and getting to kind of have that spark of like, oh, you know who you should meet because you're building X, Y, and Z and kind of uh, facilitating those connections in real life is really special. At Neue House, there is definitely a curated aspect. And I think that they are sort of this an elevated experience um, and really focused on sort of creatives. Um, but yeah, it was great. I got to meet so many people there. And I think that that really energized me to think like, wow, okay, I really like this. Of course, it was really intense. You're opening something and and trying to figure it out. And every day is totally different because you sort of have like 10 jobs all together. But um, yeah, I think that it, uh, it set something uh, aflame inside of my heart. And I was like, I think this is, this is, this is my world now. I'd be interested to hear about just the curation piece, because I think that's huge in community. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I was the very first employee outside of the founders, Audrey and Lauren at the wing, and they were excited to be building this experience that was going to be focused on women and was going to be a physical space. And I think that in that time that now, of course, post pandemic, post like Trump presidency literally feels like a thousand years ago. Yeah, it hadn't really been done at that point to have a physical space where of course, there were women's groups around of folks working together, but there wasn't kind of like a landing pad. And, you know, in the early days, that's really what the focus was, was to bring together people who had different experiences, sort of age-wise, career-wise, interest-wise, racial and ethnic differences, to sort of bring together this really interesting web and ecosystem of, of women. And yeah, I mean, to be somewhere from kind of like, the beginning or sort of what feels like even pre-beginning all the way to when I departed in June of 2020, you know, there were 12,000 members. So being a part of opening the very first and then sort of all the agony and ecstasy of, of a growing scaling startup that, you know, is in the public eye. Yeah. It was a huge, huge learning experience for me. And yeah, I mean, the curation was all about, honestly, making sure that that different groups weren't overrepresented. And I think that that's one of those things, like if you are a Priya Parker stan, like I am, actually my microphone is actually propped up on my copy of The Art of Gathering that has lots of post-its. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, like respectfully posted up on the book. Yeah, I mean, she, she talks a lot about creating the sort of line in the sand, so to speak, around who's invited and who's not. And it's it's a really interesting lens to reflect back on, uh, particularly now through the 2021 lens of saying like, who's invited, who do we say yes to and why? And I think that in some ways that 
model of sort of like uh, membership and exclusivity can be appealing and also reflecting back, like, can it be damaging? And also as sort of Priya talks about, it's like, sometimes that's needed to sort of protect the group. So it's a, it's a juicy, it's a juicy topic. It's a juicy topic. Yeah. I mean, there was certainly a level of curation in the beginning. And I think that as we grew, there continued to be, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Cause also if you are for everybody, then you're for nobody. How did you all decide, you know, going forth, obviously there was this idea of like, we want it to be for women. So that's the first, you know, category that is like, this is who it's for. How did you, how did you then keep niching down to figure out, you know, who to be exclusive without being like too exclusive, if that makes sense. I don't want to be like, you can't sit with us, you know? (laughs) It's a paradox for sure, this sort of exclusivity while also being inclusive. And I think that there's not really um, an easy or clear cut answer. But yeah, I mean, I think that we sort of thought about it like as a bit of a matrix that it's kind of like, okay, well, if we have 50 nonprofit folks or 50 activists, like maybe it would be okay if we didn't have some more for a minute. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a nuance and it's because it's humans doing it, of course, it's going to be imperfect. So hard to um, make a totally perfect system when you're sort of balancing those things. But yeah, we certainly, we certainly did our best. And I think as you grow, it also adds like additional complications to how, how that math works out, especially, you know, if you've got VC money, it's kind of like grow, the exclusive, but also inclusive. Yeah, it's a real, yeah, paradox sandwich, I'd say. It really is. Maybe we can talk a little bit about just like, how does a community organizer approach curation when they're getting started or maybe even after they've been doing something for a while? Because it's an extraordinarily tricky thing and it's hard to get right. And there's a lot of nuance to it. And Jillian, I'm kind of looping you in as semi-guest on this one since we do this with SPI Pro no, as well. No, I'm, I'm here to learn what Mariana has done and what like trials and tribulations so I can better do it myself. So I'm, I'm like, this is, this is turning into like a coaching <laughs> session. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay, team. <laughs> oh, you know what? While, while we're collecting our thoughts, I will also, also add that where I'm coming from, the co-working space I ran, which was called New Work City, back in the day, we were very emphatically open to everybody. And that was really great. And there were people who were very grateful for that attitude. But it definitely came with its own trade-offs because we did not attempt to curate in in a more direct and deliberate way. So there's there's definitely a balancing act to be had here, right? You don't necessarily, like there's a curation happening, whether you're controlling it or conscious of it or not, implicitly just in the way that you market, in the way that you price something and the colors you use, the language you use. So maybe we can kind of start with that as a starting point is, you know, how do you, how do you take control of the curation that's happening? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And to build on what you say, I mean, all those sort of puzzle pieces do sort of transmit unconsciously, like, who who is this for? Is it really an amenity-focused place? Is it kind of like, okay, we have house rules here where it's like, clean, you know, take your own damp dishes to the sink and, like, clean them up or, like, you take your own trash out or is the expectation that, like, you take the trash out for me, you know, you're going to come give me a shoulder massage, whatever. So I think that, yeah, I completely agree with what you said about 
how how the marketing and the physical space is is you know laying the groundwork for that story, and really how how I thought about it in the beginning, particularly at the wing, is like thinking about folks as like little seeds, right? So like. I think that, you know, your founding members, when you're starting something, will end up having a really outsized impact on the the way your community grows, you know, if that's what you're hoping for, which I think most people do hope for that. And I think it's like, okay, well, if you want to have a little garden, sticking with my gardening metaphor here, it's like, what kind of seeds? Like, you don't want it to only be like, okay, maybe you want it to only be roses or whatever, but you got to have roses, you need some ground cover, you need like, maybe some height in there. So the tricky thing is, of course, it's people. So it's kind of like, oh, God, we're talking about people. So like, I'm talking about people like they're plants right now. But I think it's by curation, you can sort of try to work against the system of it being totally homogeneous. Now, is it easy to sort of hold on to that as a organization scales really quickly? It is not easy. And is it possible? I'm not sure. I think in ways it can be. But yeah, curation is about kind of starting it. You know, if you want to talk about it from like a persona level, it's kind of like, okay, we maybe want someone who's, you know, kind of on the go and, would maybe use this spots like drop in here and there. And then uh, we might want someone who wants a permanent office. So that's great. I mean, I think in, in some ways too, it's like, if you're thinking about co-working, it could even tie into like how you're designing your membership tiers. How are you designing the amenities and offerings? And how is that going to play into what you're transmitting? And I think that, yeah, there's maybe a little reciprocal nature to people who are going to sort of find themselves there because it's what they need. And then also the sort of proactive strategy of saying like, who can I recruit who sort of represents like an on the go person who's going to use this for meetings or to drop in? And how can we talk about sort of bringing them into the loop to participate in this experience? So I think it can kind of be a two way street. But yeah, I definitely always recommend with my clients to sort of think about like, even if you want to do it as like, okay, who, who would I want here? And that's like, you know, you could think of a celebrity. It's like, I want to Michelle Obama. I want Oprah. I want like Brene Brown and my mom. Like, okay. So what, what are their qualities and how do you sort of like narrow that down to <laughs> reality and then try to, you know, parse out those qualities and think about what that represents. And then maybe look to your own networks to say, okay, I can think of somebody who represents this, who represents that persona. I'm going to make a list I'm going to ask my friends if they know people who are like this and then sort of begin to do some outreach. I mean, I think that, yeah, it can be a slow and plotting process for sure. But I think that if you want to build something that's going to have a thoughtful, considerate foundation, like it is going to be slow and plotting. Like you can't like you can't start scaling right off the top because then from there, it's kind of like, you know, and they tell two friends and they tell two friends and you have to sort of like invest in those people because they're also going to be giving you feedback about like what works or what doesn't or what they like, what they don't like. And I think, yeah, sometimes I think, Tony, I mean, you probably know this too. It's like the, the double-edged sword of folks who like will come to you because they don't like it or also because they do like it. I think there's a the line between the love and hate uh, when it comes to experience, which it's like, you know what, if people are telling you they don't like it, that's great. Because if they're telling you nothing, it means they don't care. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the curation from early on is so important and it, it merits over-indexing. 
right? That if you want a garden that's full of, you know, roses and lilies and turtle heads or whatever, then you've got to start with one of each and then they will propagate, you know, and others, other roses will find your rose and uh, the analogy doesn't last forever, but the idea is got to start with that initial. Yeah. Gotta get those pollinators in. <laughs> Save the bees, y'all. That's the that's the we bottom need bees. line. We need bees and butterflies need and them pollinators. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, we're building community is building an ecosystem, so it's like you need you need all the things. And mostly, I'm very appreciative that you joined me on my gardening. I was metaphor. I was all in at the beginning. I was like, yes, I see it. Yeah. I visualize it. Yes, we are plants. But I'd love to jump ahead in your timeline, for lack of a better word. I was trying to think of something gardeny, and I couldn't think of it. <laughs> But anyways, <laughs> fail. Um, so tell us, so you left the wing in June of 2020, you said, and you very quickly started, and tell me if I'm pronouncing it right, but Grand Trine Studio. So please tell us all about this because it sounds amazing. It's super cool. I want to know everything. Especially about the name. So after departing the wing in June of 2020, you know, it was a tumultuous summer and I took a little breather to sort of reflect on all the things I had done at the wing. I wore many, many hats. Um, and also my time at Noya House and Notel, you know, I hadn't really had a pause. And so I paused to reflect on what pieces of the community building puzzle was the most invigorating to me. And I realized, you know, I'm really, um, I'm a builder first, which is kind of like, I like this sort of taking a concept sort of from air to water. So pretty quickly, it became clear that, yeah, launching, building, and coming to or working with organizations that maybe need a jumpstart or they've tried, they say they're doing community, but maybe really at this point, it's just events. And they're like, oh, we actually need someone who knows what they're doing to build a really uh, overarching strategy that, yes, events is a huge part of community, but it does go beyond that. So, yeah, I um, started as a solo consultancy and pretty quickly, thankful to some wonderful clients. I've grown the team a little bit, and now it is a studio. So Grand Trine Studio is a community building studio. And really what we do is design strategic, thoughtful, human focused experiences to sustain communities. So thinking about kind of teaching, teaching a man to fish, so to speak. And, you know, beyond that, we're really on a mission to, to create a more caring and a more connected future, one community at a time. So that's sort of the philosophical bent that we have that feels pretty good. Yeah, I suppose I am a a, a business owner now. <laughs> yes, you are. That's amazing. Well, and in a way, you have curated a community community. Wow, the ultimate compliment. Thank you. Community <laughs> squared. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious, like going back to the idea of, you know, with like a, a co-working community or like SPI Pro, like thinking about who you want in it, does that play a role at all with like your clients? Do, are you and I and I totally respect when it's like I just need to pay the bills, so I will take the clients that show up. Totally respect that, not dogging it. But 
do you kind of have a focus or at least like your ideal clients? Like who is it you really want to work with? Yeah, I think like um, organizations that are culture centric. And by that, I mean, you know, they've heard of the word community. They understand that it's sort of, of course, you're sort of putting, pushing community experiences out to your members or your users, but also understanding that that is a a cyclical thing. It's a circular thing where you also have to kind of apply those community values and experiences back to your team. So yeah, the ideal is somebody who understands um, the value and importance in that. And um, yeah, I, I suppose also people who want to trust me think being trusted is cool. So yeah, I mean, I've been lucky. I've been lucky to work with some amazing clients thus far. So um yeah, more of that is is what I'm after. So I've worked with startups, but also other organizations, really kind of industry agnostic. It's more juicy to me, kind of what is the problem? What are we trying to, to create together? And how can we figure that out um, is how I think we navigate if it's a fit. Yeah, for sure. I'm also curious if you found any, you know, just with working with all these different organizations, but also in co-working spaces and whatnot, like, is there kind of a common misconception that, that comes up a lot? Like when you're working with someone to build community that you kind of have to explain or, or guide them through? Oh, definitely. I think that it's, it's cool. And I feel lucky that, uh, you know, sometimes people ask me, to help them understand what community is. But I mean, I think that a common misconception is that community is like just like Instagram or community is just events. And I think that um, it's not, not those things. And it also is something that is bigger and more strategic and sort of weaves its way through operations, marketing, brand, products. It's sort of, is, you know, weaving its way through all of those verticals within within a business. And it definitely can be sort of like glitter and magic and, which I love glitter and magic. And it also is, requires real strategy and thought and a lot of sort of operationally minded things. And I would also say that like folks get pretty confused or curious about if community if they're investing in community, like how would they measure that? How do they know that it was successful? Which, yeah, I'm always like, bring me, bring your CFO. I will explain to them how we do that. That's a really common thing. I mean, in my past roles, especially for larger companies that have community, there were several times where you kind of had to say like, hey, your whole product is around the community, but you don't value it at all. And you keep cutting our budget or cutting our staff. And it, it can be really frustrating. <laughs> but it's super mildly. Yeah. I, I relate to that big time. Yeah. I think it's, it's so easy for, especially a company that, well, any company that like in, they invest in community and then they're like, okay, we're done. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you, you can't just launch it and walk away. You have to have like people in place and policies. It's an ongoing thing. And I mean, in my experience, people, yeah, they just don't like that. They're like, wait, what? It's a, it's a recurring cost. <laughs> yeah. It's an ongoing thing. Yeah. It's an organism and it's going to change and evolve always. So yeah, I appreciate the challenge of trying to explain that to someone and help build the case 
of why it's something that they'll be happy that they invested in. So not to put you on the spot, but I know, you know, other community managers may be listening and would love to know, like, what's, what are just like a couple, like, big picture things that they can say if they feel like they need to kind of fight for their budget or their staff or their just community importance in general to like a, to a CFO or to a, whoever they've access to. (laughs) I love this question. First of all, hey, (laughs) community manager. Love you, community (laughs) managers. Yes. I would look to the spaces model, um, which I know that um, David Spinks was on your podcast, big fan of his. And I think that Carrie Melissa Jones also helped to contribute to create that. Like, that's a very practical sort of worksheet that, you know, I keep in my office and use it as reference material a lot. I would also say if you want to get more social science-y nerdy, which I would love to talk more about social science nerdery with you all here in a minute. But um, the Sense of Community Index is something that's really cool that's like, was first written in 1986 by this guy, McMillan. And it talks about sort of, it's a survey, so you can send it to the community. But I also think you can use it as a bit of an inventory, which I often do with clients around different aspects of the community. And then if you send this survey around, then you have something sort of tangible that you can benchmark and come back to to say like, hey, this is working. Because you're measuring across like four different pillars of which there's membership, influence, meeting needs, and shared emotional connection, which is nuanced. And there's kind of like eight or 10 questions across those pillars that, you know, you can set it up to, to see on a scale. And that's like real data that you can hand over to someone and say like, hey, here are some numbers, here's a story that's sort of grounding it in data, plus saying like, the vibes are good or the vibes are bad, like grounding it in some, in some data. That's so smart too, because, you know, metrics, love them or hate them are such a huge part of community. I personally, I kind of like, I hate collecting them, but I like looking at them. <laughs> yeah, no, I love data. I mean, I, yeah, no, I think, um, I love data too, Yeah, but I feel you there. But it's definitely like, especially like a CFO level, you know, anybody that is making budgets, they want to see numbers and that's, that's the language you have to, that's their love language. So you just got to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So yeah, that's what, that's what I would say to budding community managers is like get interested in data, like play around with Excel, learn how to do a pivot table just to help ground what you're creating in some things that can sort of be universally translatable across an organization. I think once I sort of strengthened that muscle for myself, I think that helped to unlock an ability to to sort of strengthen my case when you're asking for budget or strengthen your case when you're saying like, this is valuable and here's why makes it a little bit more provable beyond just like the good vibes, which of course we're there for anyway. Right. That's that's <laughs> the, the fun bonus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I feel like the, you know, the, the, just the issue of trying to quantify a community in a way that can be translated for others is, is such a tricky thing to get right. Even, you know, so you've got the sense of community index, which is a really great, like it gives you something. It just gives you some kind of way of starting to say, look, like, you know, you want numbers. We've got numbers. Here's some numbers. And and it gives you something to kind of aspire towards, too, as, you know, over time, you can probably refine what that story is and come up with better ways of describing it. But it seems like community just is so resistant to 
quantification sometimes. It drives me nuts. Yeah, I think there's ways that you can you can uh, even think about like leading indicators of sort of like, okay, how many people RCP'd? How many people said they were going to RCP and then didn't show up? Or if and when we posted about this event, did we see a bump in social? I mean, I think that that's kind of what the deal is with community in a lot of ways is like it is sort of this, you have to look at the sort of universe of it all to think about are the various puzzle pieces working? And if one is a little bit lower, what, you know, one piece of the puzzle isn't working as well as you would like, like people aren't chatting in Slack, people aren't like posting on the forum like they used to. I think it's like, you can kind of take this big thing of community and try to find ways to drill it down into more sort of concretized pieces that then helps you kind of build those mini strategies and sort of mini actions that lead to change and then lead to your beautiful PowerPoint that you're presenting to the CFO that proves that, you know, the community is succeeding, et cetera. That we need more money. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love CFO. <laughs> I love CFO people. Thank you for your brains. Yes. And your money yeah. that you let us use. Yeah. <laughs> it all goes to good yeah. things. There's definitely something to be said. I think we come around to this a lot in these conversations, but, you know, identifying those super users or just those people that are just a delight in your community, the people who represent what you want and having those one-on-one relationships and being okay, like having it be the norm in your community to reach out and be like, hey, what's up? Because certainly we all have life things. So someone who might post all the time, you know, for a while, if they all of a sudden disappear, like even just if they just have a lot of life stuff going on, or maybe they went on a trip, you know, or whatever, and we just didn't know about it. I think it's, it's really special for them too to get that, that message to be like, Hey, we miss you. I, we've noticed your absence. What's going on? How can I help? And it can be hard for sure, especially depending on the size of the community. But yeah, I agree. I mean, it brings up a point and something that I'm actually pretty obsessed with lately, which is, you know, in, with, in talking with potential clients or clients that I do have, or, you know, past places that I've worked, this concept of belonging, of course, is, I feel like it's kind of like entering like buzzword territory. It's like people want to talk about belonging, like, then if you're responsible for a community, like, how do you build it? And I think sort of, in my own personal journey, particularly through sort of like, the sadness and tumult of last summer, it really presented this opportunity for me to, as I was thinking about what did I want to do to, of course, like make money and have a living, also sort of examine some other puzzle pieces of the responsibility of community building and the responsibility of being a leader within an organization and also leader of teams, especially if you you know, have the decision-making power to build the things or, you know, build the strategy to make the things. So it has me thinking about going deeper beyond just saying belonging. What I've recently become really obsessed with is the idea of our brains and trauma and healing and thinking about environments, whether digital or in person and how we can create more safety in those environments to facilitate belonging. Yeah, it's kind of some some nerdy stuff, but it's actually called uh, interpersonal neurobiology. So basically what I've learned is, all right, we've all had various things happen to us that are scary. Um, different communities 
And folks have had more of that compounded over years and over various generations. And literally, our bodies are wired for connection. Our brains want to connect. And that's like the ultimate goal of of communities, right? In all of this sort of nerdery that I've been doing, reading Dr. Bruce Perry, reading Dr. Nicole LaPera, reading uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kloek, it's learning that our bodies remember these things that happen to us. And our bodies need to feel safe in order to get to the part of our brain that's evolved to be able to actually connect with other people. So it's just got me really thinking differently about, or to bring it back to what we were talking about, when you think of who are you, who are you inviting to the community? Who wants to come here? And thinking about like, wow, isn't it kind of a fun thing to think about? Or isn't it fascinating to think about like, what could this couch transmit to someone? What colors make people feel safe and tell them, you're welcome here? What feels inviting? What feels cold? What feels like, actually, you don't belong here. Um, So thinking about that as something to just, at least for me personally, continue to dig into, because I think it's so important when you look at the ramifications of what loneliness does to people, what it does to our health. It's a lot of philosophical, scientific work that I'm doing, but it's fascinating to me because when I think about the responsibility I have as someone who's leading other leaders in designing new systems and organizations, what could that look like if folks' trauma, people's neurobiology was woven into that experience? Now, the word trauma, the T word, probably is going to scare a lot of people, but I guess this is a warning that if you work with me, it's going to be something that I'm thinking about when we're designing work together. I love it. I mean, it was so important. I feel like like if somebody comes to you and says, okay, we want you to help us build better community and you come in and say, okay, does everybody here feel safe? I feel like there's a pretty, a pretty critical starting point informed by science, as you say, that you're not going to be able to access the community part of someone's brain if they don't feel safe first. So let's start with that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I actually think that I hope it doesn't scare people, but I I do think it's something that we all probably understand innately in our own sort of physical experiences being, you know, people who live inside of bodies and also who have brains that you kind of know what that feels like when you're like, oh, I'm afraid you realize like I'm afraid. So like my brain literally turns off. So it's like if I'm calm, I'm relaxed, like, you know, nice lights, et cetera. Okay it's my routine or, you know, I've got my water and my coffee, like this feels nice. Okay. Now I can do my work or now I feel like I can feel safe. Yeah. It's it's a really fascinating thing to me when I think about sort of on the business side of things, like what gets in the way of people being connected to something or participating in an experience. And I think a lot of that can have to, or can relate to social anxiety, feeling like, okay, a fear of being judged because you've been judged in the past fearing that you'll say the wrong thing because the wrong thing in the past had consequences. So when I think about designing, you know, digital and in-person experiences, I'm always trying to think about, okay, if I put myself in that person's shoes, does it feel like it's a it's a, an invitation to participate? How do I know what goes on around here? So then I know if it's like the right behavior or not, or if this is a normal thing to do around here 
which to me are sort of puzzle pieces that lead up to safety. A freaking men. (laughs) 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 Let us get into the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm really ready. I'm very excited to rapid fire. Okay. Mariana, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. I grew up in San Antonio where there are there was a sea world and it was before I had seen blackfish and cried, but I really thought that I was definitely going to be a dolphin trainer and or, you know, obviously like doing the show with Jamu. There was a Oh, wow. <laughs> I think that was a common dream, though, pre-Blackfish. Okay, next up is how do you define community? I love this one. I mean, I'm always willing to adjust my definition, but I would say that it is a group of people who come together for repeated collective action. Mm, Nice. Nice Mm -hmm. and succinct. (laughs) <laughs> All right, let's talk bucket list. We're going to talk about something that's on your bucket list that you have done. Okay, something that's on my bucket list that I have done is visit the Galapagos and go snorkeling surrounded by fish and like a sea lion was very close to my person. So, Whoa. you know, please see previous question of uh, yeah. <laughs> SeaWorld animals and yeah being close to animals is pretty exciting you are on brand <laughs> yeah. that means you got to you got to see is is the blue-footed booby or yes booty? there were so many boobies to be seen booby it is booby okay <laughs> they're pretty cool boobies rule <laughs> not taking that bait onward to the next one something on your bucket list that you have yet to do something on your bucket list that you have not yet done I think that is being in the same room as Brene Brown. (laughs) Excellent. Just breathing that vulnerability air. Yeah. And yeah, breathing in. Yeah. Talking about the gifts of imperfection. Yeah. I think it's, we all have those people that we admire. And I don't know. I also have this imaginary connection to her as a Texas woman myself who cares a lot about feelings and leadership. Yeah. That's amazing. Speaking it to existence. Brene. Let's hang. <laughs> if you're listening. Right? If Brene, if you're yeah. listening, <laughs> it's me. Surely Brene's listening. <laughs> if, if you're listening, please tell us for the yes. love of God. Please uh, tell yeah, us. please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, uh, speaking of books, uh, authors, the next topic is what is a book that you are loving? Okay. Just one? Yeah. yeah just like one that pops to mind that it's like, ooh, I want to tell countless masses about this book. I'm psyched to talk about this. I have to say, I just finished last night, um, What Happened to You with Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And I think it's relevant for any human being, but especially folks like us that work in community and it's often in service of others. I think that there's like an awareness to kind of understand your own operating system that can be really powerful to sort of think about designing a new future of, of helping other people that um, is trauma-informed that just feels like, yeah, I want to talk to everybody about this book. Can you give us like the one or two sentence synopsis or or like premise of the book? Yeah. I mean, really, it's just talking about the brain. It's talking about trauma, how it lives mostly in your body and how it kind of gets stuck in there and ways that you can access that resilience and, and heal. And sort of the um, spoiler alert and the piece that I find most compelling beyond sort of excavating is that 
to really heal trauma, sort of last step and most healthy step is it happens in community. So it's kind of like our brains literally need other people. Like we are wired to have community and yeah, like boils down to your physical health. So just digging into the science of it all, obviously Oprah giving her like Oprah magic along with it, but sort of is told in a way that's really digestible for a lay person. That was like seven. That was not a quick fire answer. <laughs> that's awesome. A no, long, that's great. Yeah. Appreciate that. Slow fire. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's, it's so valuable. It sounds like a really important book. So thank you for sharing that. Feels like required reading. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about living situation. You are in New York, but if you lived elsewhere, where would the elsewhere be? You know, I kind of imagine a future like just living as like a desert witch. I think like Joshua Tree, something like that feels nice. Dry. I want to come. Yeah, yeah. no, you're invited. (laughs) You're invited. (laughs) I feel like I would belong in Santa Fe. I've never been to Santa Fe, Fe, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there's snow. Sure, I belong there. Which I'm kind of like. I need like a warm, a warm future. More, more desert. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, warm works for me. How do you want to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as someone who, someone who cared for people. And someone who was able to hold space for awkward stuff and hard stuff. And would like to be remembered as someone who maybe helped to provide some small nuggets of digestible wisdom to help people heal in some small way. That's beautiful. Real quick, can you tell us, how do we find you? Where are you on the interwebs? I am very much on the internet. I am mostly on Instagram. I am... Marmar Martinelli, M-A-R-M-A-R Martinelli, my last name. And on Twitter, I'm M underscore M Martinelli. I don't know. I guess I'm on LinkedIn too. TikTok, I just lurk. So you will not find me there. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mariana. Listen, it's my pleasure. All right. Wow. That was Mariana. What a conversation, Tony. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, somebody who has very much been improvisational with my community building, it really helps from a sustainability standpoint. And especially if you've got stakeholders or if you've got an employer, just to have this kind of framing, maybe before you even start to know, you know, who are you trying to serve? How best can you go about serving that population? and what success looks like. Identifying the avatars, though. I mean, ultimately, right? Who are these people? And it could be multiple. could be a wide variety, different categories, but just getting it down on paper and understanding who those people are is huge and helps you map out, you know, what kind of programming do we want to create for these people? What kind of forms of media? Uh, Should they be long meetings or short meetings? Should they be on video? Should they be in person? Like there's all kinds of different dials you can turn once you have a better idea of who you're actually designing for. And I like the idea of having like strategies behind, you know, you create the avatar and then you go and like you go and find them. You recruit them in a way. And that's genius. And then from within that, you can cultivate variety. And the garden analogy is super apt. There's a lot of things you can draw from the idea of gardening as a community builder. But the idea of bringing in 
people with diverse skills, diverse interests, diverse backgrounds, and making use of the fact that they can all be super supportive of each other as a little ecosystem. Another thing Mariana touched on that is is just so real and hits home so much is that community work is 10 different jobs. It absolutely is. I mean, you are the event planner, you are a data analyst in many ways. I mean, there's so many things going on. I think everyone working in community should know at least one other person working in community that gets it and that you can vent to, that you can ask for their perspective on situations. I know over on ye old Twitter, there's a lot of community lists and kind of a growing number of community people who are really talking to each other and holding each other up in many ways. So if you are a community builder and you're not sure where to go, check out the community manager hashtags on Twitter. Come join us. Absolutely. The same way that your community of members has kind of a support ecosystem around it, you need that support ecosystem around you and the other community leaders around you need that as well. Absolutely. The community community. Let's do it. (laughs) Always love meta. And I think it's also, you know, we got a, a little bit into some science there too, talking about the neurobiology and the importance of making sure that people feel comfortable when they walk into a situation, when they join a group, when they're onboarded, that a person can't feel connection until they feel safety. And I think that is something I could chew on for a while. Oh, yeah. I've honestly been thinking about it a lot. We kind of ended the conversation on that. And I want to kind of start the conversation over right there. And just this whole idea of creating both visually and just in your messaging, everything about your community, like making it inviting and a great analogy that I've been kind of thinking about is like when you go over to someone's house, maybe you've never been there before. Maybe you're just getting to know them and the door opens and it's like a hoarder level gross, like dirty and smelly and just a mess. At least for me, I will immediately be on edge any sort of like cool conversations or whatever that I would have had with that person, say like not in their home, like at a, at a coffee shop or something like walls will come up just because I am physically not comfortable. So get out there, identify who your people are, identify what success looks like, make sure that people feel safe in their process of onboarding, participating and keep doing good things. Keep helping your people find your people and find your people too. Find support as a community leader. I'm sure other people will appreciate it. And in the meantime, keep being awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the community experience and we'll see you next Tuesday. This has been the community experience. For more information on this episode, including links and show notes, head over to smartpassiveincome.com slash listen. Learn more about Mariana and all the work she's doing at her website, grandtrinestudio.com. That's grandtrine, T-R-I-N-E, studio.com. You can also find her on Twitter, M underscore M, M-A-R-T-I-N-E-L-L-I, M underscore M Martinelli, and on Instagram, at Mare Mare Martinelli. That's M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-T-I-N-E-L-L-I. 
Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our series producers are David Grabowski and senior producer Sarah Jane Hess. Editing and sound design by Duncan Brown. Music by David Grabowski. See you next time. 